how about now? That sounds better. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, get, can you hear me now? Um, how about now? Yes? Yes, good. Um, uh, sorry about that. We just had a few technical difficulties. I was just running around uh, for a few minutes before the service, before while we were trying to sing, trying to sort out some stuff. But um, let's let's come now and let's uh, let's come before God in prayer uh, as we come to have a look at the topic of lament. Um, so we're going to be looking at the topic of lament from Psalm 88 today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, word from you. Lord, this is an, a, a passage or a topic that we normally turn to very often, but it's uh, it's a topic that um, that reflects our experience, Lord, of us living in this world. Lord, as we as we come now to approach your word, we we pray, Lord, that you would you would help us help us to understand you better, understand the world better, and understand our place in it. Lord, we we want to bring you glory even in the way that we we sorrow we feel sorrow and grief and the way that we mourn. So we pray, Lord, that um yeah, that you would speak to us, that you would inform us, that you would grow us and you would mature us in our faith as we look at this. We pray this um as well as Lord, we pray that 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 the words that I speak might be pleasing to you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So, uh, I've got a scenario for you. Put put yourself in these shoes. You're you're going through a rough patch. I mean, you're really copping it. You're you're being raked over the coals, and it feels like somebody's jumping on top of your back. Your home life's a mess. You're going through an emotional disagreement with your extended family. You're going through uh, a tough time at work with that one coworker who just really gets on your nerves you're you're late with some bills money's a bit tight and then bang the car starts making a weird noise and coughs to a halt one tow truck later you're home trying to relax on the couch catch a few moments of of relaxation and you're just assaulted by the news on tv or your facebook feed with all the horrible things that are going on in the world the, the crime the fraud murder, government failures, people celebrating abhorrent behavior as if it's as if it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then the next morning, after a sleepless night, you're trying unsuccessfully to to spend some time in prayer when you get a phone call. It's bad news. It's news that you never thought you'd hear. Your soul is crushed. It's it's like the world has just broken and nothing will ever be right again. So you, you pluck up the courage to call a, a close friend or family member and you explain to them what's happening. You know, starting bit by bit, starting as a trickle, but before long it turns into a stream and then a torrent of sadness and despair and hopelessness. And with the added embarrassment of your stumbling attempts to, to communicate to them, you break down in tears. But, but they don't know what to say. 
After some awkward silence, they start to respond, but it's little more than dry platitudes, you know. Time heals all wounds. Or, I know what you're going through. Or, less... <laughs> less personal. You'll learn to live with it. Or the worst one of all, everything happens for a reason. Feeling even worse than when you rang, you make some silly excuse and you go ahead and hang up. You're weighed down. Everything seems to be falling apart. You feel sick from your insides out. You feel bewildered and tossed about, even though you're sitting in your own home. What do you do next? What can you do next? There's, there's nothing in your power to fix this. You see, God made us limited beings. Limited by strength, limited by time, limited by space. There are things that are outside our control. And, and God also made us emotional beings. He made us people who live with hope, people who live... With, in relationship with others. He made us physical and spiritual. And there's nothing wrong with these things. Being limited and being, and, and being a created spiritual physical being, that's the way God made us. We should relish this existence with its shape and limits. But the problem is we're in a world that is stuffed up. It's broken. It's full of sinners and corruption, deception and destruction. And the world is literally cursed. So you put us as, as people made in the image of God, made to live in a world that is very good, and you put us in a world that is very broken, we're going to have a tough time of it. We, we get used to it. We, we grow up in it. We, we get used to it. We grow calluses and we try and shrug off the difficulties and the brokenness of the world. We come up with sayings like, such is life. But sometimes, try as we might to live with and avoid the problems of this world, we are overcome. So what, what do we do when that happens? When the world seems to fall apart around us, when nothing is as it should be? Well, as Christians, we know, even if we don't act on it, we know that there's only one place to go. There's only one place where we can find hope. It's to our loving Heavenly Father. And the Bible shows us many examples of turning to the Lord in the darkest moments of life. Even when it's clear that God had a direct hand in bringing about the circumstances that we're in, they, we still turn to God. Where else can we go? And so what does the Bible say about responding in these dark moments? Well, if you hadn't read the Bible before, you might think, oh, it'll say something like, tough it out, or get on with it. God, maybe God saying, you're having a rough go of it. Imagine how I feel putting up with you, Lord. Or, or maybe you might think that the Bible would say something along the lines of, oh, God will solve all of your problems. Everything will be better. It will be magically solved if you have enough faith. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. 
Instead, we see a God, our Lord, who sympathizes with us in our weakness, in our limitations, in our emotional experiences. We see across the scripture countless examples of how to respond well, and some not so well, to the endless troubles that we experience. There's not a, there's not a magic fix. We see that, uh, that people respond in a way that we call lament. It's the response to the grief and the pain of this life. It's an expression of what's going on in our hearts when we turn to God for answers and rescue. When we question and mourn in the sorrow that we experience. Grief is, is part of this life. It's the normal and good reaction to the darkness of this world with death and injustice and pain and suffering. Grief is the recognition in our souls that things are not right. The world is broken and it breaks my heart. Or even, I am broken, infected by sin, and I don't know what to do about it. So if, if lament is something that shows up in the Bible, if, it, if, if the Bible gives us these examples of what it looks like to respond to the dark times in our lives, maybe we should look at them and see what is a good way to go. How should we do it? How should we respond? Most of us have experienced suffering in some shape or form and, and, and mourned. But even if we haven't yet come to a point where we feel that a lament is the expression of our souls it's helpful for us to be prepared for that day when the rug is pulled out from under our feet so for the remainder of our time this morning I wanted to to, to take us through five elements of lamenting and they're mostly drawn out of Psalm 88 but they will show up in other places where you look at, this, at laments We'll be thinking about things mostly from a personal lament perspective. This, this psalm is very much a personal uh, cry out to God. And, and next week, Steve is going to help us look at some part of uh, the Book of Lamentations, which is actually a corporate, you know, it's dealing with the corporate lamenting and mourning of things that are going on in the life of a nation, the life of God's people. But for us this morning, we're looking at five elements in Psalm 88 five elements of lament to teach us how to lament well so the first element is that we have to start on solid ground the Lord is God that's our solid ground that's where we start when we come in lament when we come mourning towards God when we come pleading with God in the midst of our darkness we come remembering that the Lord is God and that's how the that's how the psalm starts the first two verses show us that basis for lament in, in, in verse 1 and 2. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. He's coming, calling on the God that he serves. They, they're coming knowing that this is the God who can help, even if it's the same God who seems to be ignoring him and, and leading um and, and letting him experience these tough times, he knows that, that the Lord is God. He is the one who is ruling and reigning. He is the one who can solve the situation. He is the one who needs to hear. 
There's no one else to turn to. Throughout the psalm, the, the writer speaks about how they're calling on God. They know that the Lord is God and the one who is both in control of his own creation and the one who can address the situation. And we see here that, that the psalm is is ascribed to a bloke named Heman or Heman. I don't know how to pronounce it. Heman the Ezraite. He was a wise bloke. He was so wise that he is used for a comparison for Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon was wiser than than Heman uh, the Ezraite. That's a high bar. Like if you're being used as a measuring stick for how good Solomon's wisdom is, that's that's pretty good. But he is not interested in investigating alternate philosophies, alternate theories about what will solve his issue. He's not looking for a new diet or, or a new self-help book. He wants to worshipfully call on the one who is on the throne, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But why is this important? Why is it important to start with this as our basis? Well, because the way that we approach our grief or sorrow and frustration, the way that we approach these things with God can be the difference between a godly lament and grumbling, a, a godly complaint and a selfish whinge. So you notice what Haman is doing in this psalm? He's, he's not whinging, he's not grumbling. If you've spent much time with kids, you probably know that difference between a genuine complaint that something's wrong and just that that whinging, that complaining. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too tight, it's too loose, it's too big, it's too small. We see grumbling in the Bible. We see one example with the Israelites in the desert. They, they were whinging about garlic. They were slaves in Egypt, but there was no garlic in the desert. And they were so wound up about what they were missing out on, what they wanted to fill their bellies with, they were complaining. They were crying over garlic. The thing it says there was weeping throughout their tents. They were complaining as if the garlic was worth exchanging for back-breaking slavery. This back-breaking slavery that God had rescued them from, but they wanted what they wanted. And there's countless other examples throughout that trip through the desert of grumbling and complaining. And God has little patience for that grumbling and complaining when we fixate on something that we want and we complain about it when we can't have it. And we end up treating God like a genie who's expected to deliver on our wishes or or like Santa who delivers gifts on a schedule. But God has better plans than our selfish wishes. And grumbling and whinging about what he does or doesn't do for us is actually a form of idolatry. So that's why it's important that we start with God on the throne when we come to bring our complaints and our concerns and our griefs to him because we're starting with him on the throne, not with us on the throne. Because if it's grumbling and whinging, it's actually idolatry. It's saying, I know better and God, you need to serve me instead of the other way around. It says, everything would better, everything would be better for me if God would only do what I want. 
but what we see in these laments, even though it is intensely personal and very much concerned about his own experience and what's going on in his own life, he's starting with God on the throne and he is the one whom we're worshipping and seeking help from. He wants God to act. He wants God to answer. He's a supplicant seeking God's mercy rather than one who demands he gets his own way. So, so that's the first part of lament. We need to recognize that God is the Lord. He is on the throne when we come to him with our grief. So the next element of lamenting is that we tell God what we're feeling and seeing, what we're experiencing. Tell God what you're experiencing. You see, God knows what's going on. He's not unaware. You don't need to hide your what you're feeling you don't need to hide what you're seeing around you or or, or how things appear to you he knows so share it with him he's not surprised when we say what's going on in our heart or or reflect back to him what we what we're receiving let's have a look at how Haman does that he pours out to God what he's feeling and seeing he's grieving over what's happening and he and he sees God's hand in it he says God you've done this you've done this even while he asks God to respond and act. Let's have a look at verses 3 to 7. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one who is set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavily on me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. There's there's no pretense here. Haman feels lost, deserted. He feels as good as dead. He, He is... He's crushed in the midst of these circumstances so that he basically has one foot in the grave. Now, we don't know the specifics of what these circumstances are, but the psalm reflects something of our human experience that any of us can go through when we're brought low with depression and despair. This reflects those times when it's like we're walking through a, a deep, rocky ravine and we can barely see a light, a sliver of light overhead. We, we wander through the valley of the shadow of death. We feel as if we are walking into the bowels of the earth never to return. Well, I ever see the light of day again. And Haman calls out to God through this darkness, unafraid to tell God what he is seeing and experiencing. And and we are Christians who believe God is sovereign, in control of everything. So often this is hard for us to do. I I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that I should reject sorrow and just get over it. Take a teaspoon of cement and harden up, because that's the way God has crumbled the cookie. But that's a rejection of the spiritual and emotional and physical way that God has made us to grieve over evil, to, to, to experience loss, to recognize the corruption of this world. To, to grieve over these things and is to bring them to God and say, you alone can rescue us from our hurt. 
a habit of blind emotional response is not godly but we we are meant to control the way that we respond with our emotions but God is compassionate to us when it all becomes too much and we are overwhelmed we we see it in an example in Jesus he reacted with sadness and sorrow over the plight of the world he wept at the graveside of his friend even though he was about to pray to God to raise him from the dead he wept at the coming destruction of Jerusalem, something that he knew was going to happen anyway, but he mourned the loss. So we're in good company when we come before God in the midst of our sorrow, even knowing that God is the one over it all. Laying out our case before God, our experience, our feelings, helps us to examine our own heart as well. As we talk it through with God, we may be able to better understand what's going on in our life. Or, or, or maybe as we talk it through, we might actually see how how we may have caused these circumstances or we have brought things about. Or we may be seeing how God is providing loving discipline through the midst of these circumstances. It won't always make us feel better to pour out our heart to God. It might not always give us a light bulb moment, but we will have the ear of our loving Father and we will have handed over to Him some of the burden in which we're carrying. We're called to, to give us give our burdens to Him. And Peter reminds us, he said, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So then we come to the third element. These elements are going to speed up a little bit, don't worry. We come to the third element. Now, having bared our soul to God, we may have come away from our lament feeling reassured that God has it in hand or, or, or that we're being treated fairly by God, even if we don't like how it feels. But often, our lament, our mourning, our grief before God just raises more questions. And that's the third element of lamenting. Ask God the hard questions. God's got the chops. He can take it if we come to him with questioning. It's not like he's going to be found wanting. And Haman does the same thing in verse 14. He says, um, in, in Psalm 88, he says, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He doesn't know why. He doesn't understand. He calls out for answers. And we do the same. When things don't align with how we understand God to be and what the world should be like, we, we wonder, we question. If God is good, why do bad things happen? If God loves me, why is he letting me experience this horrible situation? If God hears our prayers through Jesus, why doesn't he respond to my prayers? If God loves justice, why does he allow injustice to continue? These are all valid questions that once again rise out of that disconnect when we see when we are people who are made in God's image but we're living in a world 
where we are infected with sin and we are living in a world that is corrupted. Things aren't right. They don't match up. When will you fulfill your promises, Lord? How will you change my stubborn heart? What else will you put me through before my life is over? And I'm sorry to say that even though we can ask God these questions, we can ask Him the hardest questions, we may not get a response. God will hear our yearning questions, but He will not always answer the way we want. You remember Job? He wanted to know, what does God have against me? What is it? Why is he doing this? Why has he taken away my family and all my possessions and afflicted my flesh? Why? He longed for an opportunity to go before God and to, and to, and to lay out his case and say, Lord, I've served you. I've, I've done what you asked. I've, I thought that you were pleased with me. But he never gets that chance. He never gets the chance for God to respond to his questions one by one. We get the hindsight in the book of Job. We get the hindsight of what's going on in the heavenly realm. And we know why Job is experiencing what he's experiencing. But Job doesn't. There was no insight for him. All he got was the reassurance from God that he is the Lord. The one who has all the wisdom and all the power. And he is the Lord who doesn't do things just out of spite or just for kicks. He had to be content with what God had told him. So we may not get the answer to our hard questions, but we can still ask them. Perhaps one day in the future, you, you, the answer will become clear. Perhaps one day you'll be reading the scriptures and, and that thing that you've, been, that you've been confused about, that thing that you're yearning to know, maybe the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and you will see the answer plainly there. Maybe one day you'll be listening to a sermon and it will be explained and you will understand why but it's not guaranteed we may not know even to until eternity but the fourth element of lament is that we ask God to act we ask God to act it's not clear in in this psalm like you don't you don't see what the psalmist is asking God to do but it's implicit through the whole psalm the whole psalm is really a request for God to act. The whole thing is a prayer to God to respond. All of these theoretic sorry, all of these rhetorical questions that he asks throughout the psalm are leading to that point. God, please hear my prayer and act. He's saying again and again, Do you gain anything from putting me through this, God? If if not, then please save me so I can serve and praise you. Our laments are often uttered in a time when God seems far from us. But we are reminded throughout the scriptures that he is near to us, even in our darkest moments. And he hears those who call on him. He will act to protect and to grow his people. And so, when we are in the midst of our crying out to God, we call on him to come to our aid. 
We are in distress and we know that only He can really sort it out. We can be discouraged when we call and God doesn't respond in the way that we would like. But that should not stop us from calling to Him, from going to Him again and again, like the next door neighbor asking for a for flower in the middle of the night. We ask again and again of our loving Father to fulfill His promises and to give His children good gifts. And, and James reminds us in the book of James that we should go to God. We should ask. Often we don't have what we desire from God because we haven't asked. Or if we have asked, we've asked wrongly. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So we should ask God to act, but we should remember that God's not going to just be there, as I said before, like a genie to fulfill our wishes. We should be asking, and we should be asking unselfishly. We should be asking for God's glory. We should be asking for Him uh, to be glorified and for His fame to spread. Our laments should include asking God to resolve the problems of this world and in our lives. We implore Him to take, to take our lives, to take this world and make it more like the new heavens and the new earth that are coming one day soon. Which brings me to our fifth element, the fifth element of lament. The last part of Christian lament is that it is touched with hope. We hope that this pain and grief is not the end, that these present sufferings will be overcome. Even buried under the weight of our despair, there is an expectation that God will act somehow, some way. This particular psalm of lament has that, even though it's pretty much lost. There's so much despair here that it's, it's pretty much lost. It doesn't end on an upbeat note. And sometimes that's where we are, that our hope is almost lost. But many of the psalms end with a, a, a refreshed outlook, knowing and trusting that God will act. That God will act, he's got all things in hand. But Haman doesn't reach that point. He still knows that the Lord is his God, that God is in control, but he feels abandoned, and his hope is almost lost. But he keeps coming back to God. He keeps coming back. There must be some hope because he keeps coming back. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, it says in verse 9. I spread out my hands to you. There are times when that answer is not forthcoming. When, when the struggle we are facing just goes on and on and on. Perhaps after crying out to God and pleading with him, things even get worse. Yet even in our darkest hour, the Christian lament is still tinged with hope. A favorable outcome is not guaranteed. God doesn't say that our lives will be easy. This life is still infected by sin and this world is still corrupted until God takes our sin fully and finally away from our nature and he remakes this world. Until then, we're going to have a tough go of it. But we have hope. We have hope for that future day when sin is fully and finally removed, when when death... N- 
it's fully and finally overcome, when God's promises are all fully and finally fulfilled. That's the day we long for and we hope for, even if we're not going to get even if we're not going to get that joy and peace we long for in the here and now, we do we will get it in the future. We must remember the promises for that future day. It, it might not necessarily make you feel better in the moment. It might not reassure you. It may reassure you. But the barest smidgen of that hope in our laments helps prepare us for these days here on earth, full of pain and suffering, knowing that there is something beyond this present plight. You see, God... God will save us. He has saved us through Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus into the world to save all those who would call on him. What is he saving us from? He's saving us from a lament far worse. A sorrow far worse than the ones we experience in this life. He's, he's saving us from the worst, <laughs> something that is worse than all the sorrows that we can experience on earth. Because a life in opposition to God leads to a perpetual lament, being cast out in utter darkness where there is much weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, God is saving us from coming judgment where, where God will judge the living and the dead and find everyone wanting. God is saving us from that. He's saving us for a day when he will take away all of our sorrow. When he will wipe every tear from our eyes. When he will take his treasured people and they will know sorrow no more. One day there will be no need for laments because all of our laments will be answered. And that day is coming, but we're not there yet. We live in the here and now, and so we experience that pain and that sorrow and that grief, and we cry out to God in the midst of it. How do we cry out? We've seen that our laments start on solid ground. The Lord is God. Our laments include telling God what we're experiencing. Our laments include asking God the hard questions. They ask God to act. And they are tinged with hope. I hope that in whatever circumstance you're going through, you might be able to look to our God and to call on Him, even, even in those darkest moments when you seem furthest away from Him and when everything just seems to be falling apart. I hope that you will be able to, to look to Him and to seek after Him, not necessarily because it's going to get better all of a sudden, but because we know that there is no one else who can help. We know that he is the only one who can who, who can heal our brokenness. And we know that even if he doesn't answer and act in the way that we want right now, he is preparing us for a day when all that sorrow and all those laments, all the mourning, all the grief will be no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these countless examples throughout your scripture that uh, show us how we as emotional, physical, spiritual beings can respond well 
to the brokenness of this world, the injustice, the sin. Lord, we see this disconnect and we feel this tension living here now where things are not right. Lord, we look forward to that day when things will be made right fully and finally. But we ask, Lord, here and now that you would help us to respond well in the midst of these circumstances. To come to you, uh, not just grumbling and whinging, but to come to you, seeking you as the one who can heal our brokenness. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who came into the world to, to redeem us from this darkness, to redeem us from this broken world. And Lord, we look forward to the day when he comes again and heals every infirmity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.